And now let us listen for God's word to us according to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. Jesus left that place and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astounded. They said, where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Then Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor except in their hometown and among their own kin and in their own house. And he could do no deed of power there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then he went out among the villages teaching. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. He said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. If any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed many with oil who were sick and cured them. This is the word of God for us. Good morning. It is indeed an honor to be with you this day. Pastor Jana and Adam asked me to think about sharing a little bit about my vocation as a chaplain with you. Now, I've wrestled with that, um, but I ended up, with God's help, weaving my story, the chaplaincy story, into the lectionary text this morning. So I pray that Maybe a piece of that will speak to you um, from the spirit of our living God. I wanted to take a moment um, to share my gratitude for all the ways that Knox community has enriched my life while I've been here in Cincinnati. As a new seminary graduate in 2006, I found myself at a job at the Jewish hospital in Kenwood. It was there just a few years later that a patient shared with me that her church, Knox Presbyterian, had just called a Princeton Seminary student to be their new pastor. And so, of course, since that was my alma mater, I said, um, what's the person's name? And she said, oh, I can't remember, but she, had a, she has a big smile and sparkly eyes. And I said, Jana Reister. <laughs> and indeed, praise God, that is who you called, my friend Jana now your friend as well. But Jana's been a gift to me on this journey of faith as we meet each week to pray and walk and talk together. 
this church has also been a place that's connected with my grandfather. Um, he was uh, a retired, well, he was a Presbyterian minister, but when we started coming here a little bit together, um, he was a retired Presbyterian minister. And I know that he very much admired Tom York and the sermons that he shared with us. And I remember sitting in the pews with him at Knox Presbyterian. Later, the woman that I was dating started coming here and had a profound spiritual experience. And because of that, our spiritual connection deepened, and not too long after, Sarah and I decided to get married. Two kids and a move to College Hill later, Sarah and I, oh, well, Sarah decided just before the pandemic that she was feeling called back to Knox to become a member. And so she joined the membership class online. I got to sneak peeks at it once in a while. And she joined and has, is now joyfully a member here. So we are just starting to integrate into the community since social distancing kept us away. It's been a gift to begin to come alongside you as disciples of Christ together. And so we are so very grateful. And I need to say this. Um, we are especially grateful for Tina's strong children's ministry here and the amazing child caregivers that have offered a warm welcome to our children, Rosemary and Shepherd. So we thank you. So in the spirit of this connection and gratitude, let us bow our hearts in prayer together, asking God to help us to hear the spirit in our midst. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, O oh God, be pleasing and accepting to you. O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. One of my best days ever at work was when I walked down the hallway on the bone marrow transplant floor at Cincinnati Children's Hospital, and I realized that I was surrounded by amazing religious and cultural diversity. I always thought that I'd have to save a lot of money and vacation time to travel far, to faraway places to experience the vastness of God's humanity. But here I was in Cincinnati, Ohio, walking down the hall, taking note of each room I passed. Huh, they're Hindu, Muslim, Catholic, Buddhist, Amish, Jewish, atheist, even a Presbyterian. They came from all over the world in the United States. On my unit in particular, we have a large population of patients that come from the United Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia. I'm so grateful to learn from them about Islam and even learn a few greetings in Arabic. Salam alaikum. Of course, my joy in meeting all these families is tempered by the fact that I know they come because their children are sick. They come to us because some of the most sought-after doctors in the whole world live here in Cincinnati. Many times, parents share their journey to Cincinnati Children's with me. Some of their stories are more like Hollywood movies and what they have endured to come. Some have been in other hospitals before, sometimes multiple hospitals. 
Even as they share their gratitude with me in coming, I know that for many of them, they've had to make agonizing decisions to leave their other children at home with friends and family. Even our families from the United States, even families from Ohio, have to do this because on the bone marrow transplant unit, it's usually close to infection risk, even pre-COVID. So our patients have to stay in their rooms for weeks and sometimes months as they wait and pray for their new stem cells to grow and to give them a new immune system. And this is where we, as staff, meet them. I believe, along, I believe along with all the expert care that we offer, the foundation of offering our best care is grounded in generous hospitality. In our lectionary text this morning from the Gospel of Mark, we read how Jesus sends his disciples out into the world with very specific instructions on how to remain open and ready to receive the care and hospitality of others. It seems Jesus wants to make sure that the disciples don't have any reason to lose their God-reliance and slip into thinking that they can be totally self-reliant and disconnected from God's people. Jesus knew that it was in relationship with the other that true transformation takes place. This was his radical plan to send his message of hope and love and redemption out into the world. Let us listen to the story again. So after Jesus was rejected by people in his hometown, probably foreshadowing things to come, scripture says, he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. He said to them, whenever you're at a house, stay there until you leave the place. If any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you as you leave, Shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. To me, that after Jesus was rejected in his hometown, he didn't withdraw or go home hurt like I might do. Instead of shrinking back, he moves forward. We read that he decides to share his authority with his disciples. He gave them the same healing powers that he had and sent them out two by two. He multiplied his reach. And if this wasn't bold enough, Jesus says, or maybe not exactly like this, says, hey, wait, guys, before you leave, I have some instructions for you. He must have surprised them, as he may have surprised you, by what he told them. It kind of reminded me of a good old camp list. Maybe some of you who went to Montreat or grew up going to summer camps will relate to this. Jesus Jesus basically gave them 
a two-pack list and a don't-pack list. I imagine them following along. Hmm. Pack sandals. Check. Pack a staff for protection and for walking. Check. Don't pack money. What? Don't pack bread. What? Don't pack a bag or even an extra shirt. What was Jesus thinking? One of our professors at Princeton, Clifford Black, wrote that even some first century street preachers carried at least a pair of shirts with them, a staff and a beggar's bag. In Mark, the 12 are forbidden the bag and the change of tunics. They must live hand to mouth while on the road. In a way, their poultry resources echo Jesus' own, which so astounds his listeners in Galilee. The disciples are allowed the means of travel, but not the means of day-to-day nourishment. They were entirely dependent on the hospitality of those they encountered. Maybe you're wondering, if you've, have you heard something like this before in Scripture? I found that the requirement that the disciples received to not carry bread is similar to God's instructions to the Israelites. When they were in the wilderness, God provides the manna, the bread, but commanded them to gather only a certain amount of it per person each day and not to keep it overnight. The requirement to carry no money reminds us of the problems that the Israelites experienced when they took gold from the Egyptians in preparation for their journey. They used it to adorn their temple, but when they started to lose their trust in God, you remember, they melted it and they shaped it into a golden calf. They literally began worshiping their money. And the third requirement for the disciples was not to move from house to house. They were to stay put and not move from homes if someone with a bigger bed happened to offer. Can you imagine the hurt feelings that would follow if the disciples decided, wait, we were offered a better place over here. Let's pack up and go to that house instead. They have fluffier pillows or maybe one of the sleep number beds. But the division that would take place in the community would be awful. Also, they'd always have this nagging thought that things might be better elsewhere. It would take them out of being present to the gift of the hospitality before them. I was thinking about this and how this is a real problem in our culture. Social media can be wonderful, but it can also act as a culprit because it stirs up in us this compare and despair mentality. It seems that Jesus knew what he was doing when he gave the disciples specific instructions for their journey. They would not be buffered by the comforts of this world that can so easily fool us into believing that we don't need each other and we don't need God. It was just a few months after I started my position as a chaplain at Cincinnati Children's Hospital when I met a little boy who I'll call Dion. I was told Dion and his mother were flown to Cincinnati on a medical plane from Germany. 
The father had to take a commercial jet because only one adult could ride with him on the medical plane. He was barely hanging on to life when he came to our pediatric intensive care unit when I entered. Over the course of the night, I talked to mom on a two-way interpreter phone. Through tears, she told me her story. They had been told by the doctors in her country that her son would probably not survive. They couldn't figure out what was going on with him. The only thing they thought that it could be a very rare diagnosis that few doctors in the world had ever even heard of, but those who had were right here in Cincinnati, Ohio. And that was enough for those parents. They began selling off their material possessions to buy the flight and the plane, the medical plane to bring their son to Cincinnati. They ended up selling their house, their cars, and most of their material belongings to follow their son across the world for a chance for him to receive treatment and survive. Mom looked so vulnerable to me. She was alone with her very sick son in another country where she couldn't even speak the language. I didn't know if she had even eaten or if she even knew how to get to the cafeteria. And thank goodness Children's has a wonderful support team to help with all of those functions for our families. Some of my most meaningful work with, happened with Dion when he got a little stronger. He asked really challenging questions of God. Sometimes his voice echoed the psalmist. How long, O oh God, out of the depths I cry to you. Other times, he offered praise and shouts of joys for the great things that God had done. You can tell this family was a very spiritual family. So we as staff surrounded this family with love and support and all the care that we could muster. In the process... We were so very blessed by Dion and his family. For over a year, Dion and his parents became part of our unit. We celebrated every milestone, every step, and every high five. The staff grew to love him and his family, and they grew to love us. And it's just what happens. Even with the healthiest boundaries, our hearts still connect with deep care and the support to those we, we care for. And there's this process of transformation that happens when these families come through the doors many times with very little to sustain them on the journey of hospitalization that they are about to endure. I wish that I could say that Dion's story ended with the discharge parade and physical healing that we had all prayed and longed for. And sometimes, friends, this does happen. But unfortunately, as joyous were the highs of his medical journey and witnessing his recovery, so were the lows of the devastating blows of infection and the symptoms that we just couldn't fix on this earth. Dion's memorial service was held at our hospital with his friends and extended family from overseas participating through a video connection. The staff surrounded the parents that day. We felt the grief as deep as we felt the love. Even experiencing the pain of loss, the staff and his parents verbalized 
that Dion's time with us and our hospitality to open our hearts to them transformed us all. Roshi Joan Halifax, a wise spiritual leader and Buddhist, wrote in her book, Being with the Dying, Life-threatening illness calls us to a place, metaphorically like a desert or a mountain peak, where as we sit, the hard wind of reality strips away all the trappings of life, like so much clothing or makeup and accessories. This is the place where we meet people as a hospital chaplain, as hospital staff, where they, in their state of openness and vulnerability, with all the buffers of life that protected them before and all the things that numbed them from what was most important, are stripped away. The veil between the spiritual world and the earthly world thins. And I know in a church this size that some of you understand this on a very personal level. You have stepped out into that great unknown with your child or loved one, or you yourself have been on a medical journey. There is nothing like a health crisis to remind us that we don't have as much control or understanding of our lives as we had once thought. Yet, when hospitality is offered through vulnerability and compassion, an authentic connection takes place, making a way for the God of all love and healing and support to transform us. Of course, it's not just in the hospital that this can take place. Major life transitions, spiritual retreats, service with others in nature at the sacred beginnings of life and when it ends, in all these moments and many more. I think for many of us, it may seem easier to picture ourselves on the giving side of hospitality, like us with Dion at the hospital and his family. We are used to being the ones providing the support, the care, the shelter, the food, and the money to raise for those in need. Knox does a tremendous job at that. And this is indeed what we are called to do. God's love is present when we welcome the stranger and love our neighbor. The Indian writer Tagore tells us that when people left his hut, he found God's footsteps on the floor. But the other side of hospitality is being open to receive it. Jesus reminds us this of this in the story from Mark, that God's love is equally manifest when we open ourselves to receive the hospitality from another. By accepting the hospitality of others, whoever they may be, the disciples are demonstrating that the message of Jesus goes beyond the social and religious barriers of his day and our day. Jesus wanted his disciples to open and form relationships with all different kinds of people. The disciples had to learn how to be guests of other people's hospitality. And I am sure that this was not always comfortable. 
how hard it is to let go and let others care for us. When's the last time that you allowed someone to offer hospitality to you? What luggage do you carry that gets in the way of experiencing the hospitality of another? How can we allow God to allow, how can we ask God to allow us to be open and vulnerable to one another? That's the place where Jesus meets us. That's the fertile ground for transformation that Jesus chose specifically to spread and incubate his earthly ministry. Doesn't that say something to us? In choosing this way, in instructing the disciples to first practice vulnerability and to begin with hospitality, Jesus wants us to understand that there is power in asking for help and in giving it. This is the place where Jesus can transform us. In the high-stakes situations, like a very sick child, half of the world away from home, it is clear to us what we should all do is help them. The way they touch and transform us in the process is so palpable. But when the stakes are maybe a little lower, when life is more predictable and normal, there are still ways that we can reach out to one another to share a previously unspoken need or offer a small kindness or allow ourselves to be present to someone very different from us to listen and to learn and to be surprised by the spirit at work in that relationship. In this scripture that we heard today, Jesus is showing us that it is not a bad thing to need each other, and that, in fact, God works within our mutual needing and caring for each other, if only we will allow it. So let us go forth today, mindful that how Jesus sent his disciples might just be how Jesus wants to send us forth into the world, open, unburdened, humble, and ready to be fully present to those we encounter. May it be so. Amen.